Welcome to the Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwartzman, joined by Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor. The Razor's Edge features ideas Akram has been studying or investing in personally as part of his Seeking Alpha Marketplace service, also called the Razor's Edge. Also features me asking questions, bringing my own general's take, my dipping into tech take. We look at specific ideas, discuss how they might play out, what research goes in. If you're interested in more of those ideas, as well as up-to-date developments and the chance to swap ideas with Akram and other traders, you can check out his marketplace service by typing Akram's Razor or the Razor's Edge on the search bar on Seeking Alpha or going to the marketplace. We've done two recent episodes on the consumer-facing side of the software as a service space. Zoom, Slack, PagerDuty, which is a little less consumer-facing, but still, we've been looking at those sorts of names. They all reported last week. So what happened? And what does it mean? We break down Zoom's greatest software report ever, how it skewed expectations for the other companies that followed, the apparent disappointments, and where things might be headed. Before we begin, a quick disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a podcast on Seeking Alpha's The Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast. Though of these big SaaS names or any related, I'm long Dropbox and PagerDuty. Akram is long PagerDuty and Slack. So Akram, where do you want to start with last week's earnings? I mean, I guess we start where anybody should start, which is what you were talking about there with Zoom. Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Uh, And the greatest beat in the history of beats in all time, (laughs) or as I would call it, the worst modeling exercise in the history of the sell side. But I, I think Zoom is, is good because, you know, we, we'd gotten into it. Obviously, like I've had my roller coaster experience with Zoom dating back to last winter. And the stock had rallied significantly the two days before its report. And despite nobody taking any numbers up or anything, look, look this consensus on Zoom was 925 million. I had been modeling Zoom at 1 billion before the coronavirus to put things in perspective. So, I mean, I don't know what you want to say about not taking numbers up, but they had disclosed that they went from 10 million to 30, 300 million meeting participants. And we've gone through all the whole thing about how do you decipher that and interpret it and what translates into revenue and what doesn't translate into revenue. But the bottom line is pretty much everybody uh, on Wall Street when it came to Zoom was like, you know what, we're just going to wait and see. We have no clue. And I took a crack at it. And I, I was actually taking a crack at it several times. And, and when I did that, when I published the Seeking Alpha piece. So I'd modeled Zoom as when the stock was about 155, 160, with a base case of 1.4 billion in revenue for this year. Basically saying like, for me to get long the stock, they've got to go 1.4 billion to 2.2, 2.2, 2.3. You got to hit two point, like my, basically the way I looked at it is like, you got to think this company can hit 2.3 billion in revenue by fiscal 2022, i.e. January of 2022. So when you look at what they reported, I mean, it, it was gangbusters, but the stock was also up 33% before. So you're just like, huh, did the press release and the script for earnings manage to, to, to leak out somewhat? But a gangbuster number, but like the thing about Zoom versus Slack or PageAnuity or Okta or anybody else you're talking about in software, it's like Zoom is the ultimate exercise in pull forward. So, I mean, if you go back and you look at the numbers, Zoom reported that they went from Last year was 60,000. They classify a, a customer as a business with 10 or more employees. And they went from 60,000 to 265,000. 
So they added like roughly 200,000 businesses year over year. So they more than quadrupled their measurable metric customer base of paying customers year over year. They also disclosed that they went from 20% to 30% in the quarter for prosumer, which is Zoom social hour, uh, you know, anybody who felt like they needed to get on Zoom, maybe some educational overlap and, and whatnot. And I think I, I, I thought that was interesting because if you look at their guidance, I don't know how closely looked at it, Daniel. Did you look at, uh, at it at all? I looked at their their guidance for the year. Yeah, where they're I think what did they end up at one point eight or something for the yes. year? So they're telling you three hundred. They did three hundred thirty five. They've got it to five hundred for next quarter, and then they're telling you one point one point seven five to one point eight for the year. And I just assume typical SaaS, you're you're you're, you're lowballing some, but their their guidance for the year it assumes that they're essentially from next quarter they're down on uh, on the second half because you're you're hitting 500 million annualized run rate is 2 billion so you're saying you're going to do about 980 million is your guide for Q3 Q4 combined that's essentially saying that we go to negative growth sequentially so which is where your argument that this is a pull forward comes from is that they're right, not- well, so I mean we spent so much time valuing these freaking SaaS stocks on EV to sales multiples I mean I don't want to even hear about anybody talking about EBITDA or PE and the exercise is, what are you paying for and what's the growth rate on the top line? And I mean, this one is crazy because you're going to go from 200% to essentially zero. So when you compare that, like well, when that reports and it does what it does and you got people trading short term and you're, you know, you're in options or whatever, particularly in my case, for example, I mean, like Slack's had a huge run, right? I mean, I have some Slack shares that I bought in the teens in March and the Slack calls, I mean, the thing was up 50% and you're still thinking it's got to go higher. But when Zoom reports and you, and, you, and you step back and you're like, all right, I mean, every single person is going to look at this report and this is just going to ruin things for, these, for anybody who reports after them. To tell you the truth, if I was, I mean, I really wanted to send, because I've been long these names for over a month and a half, these two in particular, and these two in particular are reporting on the same day. They're reporting after Zoom. When you think about this from like a prop trader standpoint, like you know, putting that hat back on for myself, I had event scenarios here. If you look at my chats with some of my friends and people, you know, at hedge funds, I'm like, I've got them both reporting after Zoom, and I've got them both reporting ahead of an employment report that I think is going to confound and, and frustrate everybody. Because I've also been in the camp that you're about to get the best economic data ever from perception because of all these weird gyrations that have, have gone on in, in both the stimulus, the CARES Act, unemployment insurance, and then like seasonal opening up and coronavirus all coinciding. And then there's like this really negative sentiment. So when I looked at Slack and PagerDuty, which is why I saw most of my Slack calls before they reported, I didn't like the fact that I've, I'm after Zoom and I'm into that employment report, the, the work from home off recovery trade on the cure, put the cure back on trade. Like I, I need to be in, and I mean, you've seen it. It's really ridiculous. To, it's disgusting to me because I bought weekly calls on Carnival Cruise Lines and Boeing the week before just to punt. And then I was like, I'm just going to wait till these two things are out of the way. And I'm, I'm putting the, the, the cure trade back on in an aggressive manner. And if you look, I mean, like what, you, you, you would have made a hundred percent. I was buying calls 10 days ago on Carnival at $13. It's $25 this morning. Like, why am I trading these stocks? You know, forget SaaS type of thing mentality. Going back to that, it's like a minefield. And if I'm a SaaS company and I'm investor savvy and I've been doing well and I, I and make no mistake, 
Slack and PagerDuty have done really well in terms of what I was looking for. Why would I want to report after Zoom? I want to report before Zoom. Let me ask one more question on Zoom before we get into that dynamic even more, which is one thing that's interesting about Zoom is, and I this sets up Slack especially, is they it's such an easy off-the-shelf product, and I've seen chat about this. And one of the questions was, can they upsell? Can they, is there anywhere else for them to go? Because it's so easy to use as a free tool. And then, okay, fine, you use it as a pro tool, but how much higher can you go? Does that enterprise number, that 60, what did you say, 60,000 to 260,000 number, does that- Year over year, yeah. Does that give them- you're arguing that's pull forward given their guidance, but is there any sign that, oh, maybe they now have legs to actually expand? It really has an opportunity for them uh, yes, to upsell? You're absolutely right. And I would be very concerned if I was Ring Central and, and anybody else in UCAS because I've actually talked to two different people at the enterprise level who accelerated that word again. Uh, their you know, Zoom meetings, they, they onboarded that and like they're replacing their Avaya with Zoom phone. So they're going all in Zoom. <laughs> right. I mean, it just, it, it does seem like it, it's weird that the sell side just, and I saw this again, you know, somebody made the tweeted about, you know, just the sell side is very weird about when they decide that it's worth updating. Somebody, I. It's very simple. If you've been doing this for 20 years, they, they will update when you hold their hand. They will not. I mean, I went through this with NVIDIA. Thank you. Don't even like, it's like, it's not your surprise, but this one was so extreme that it was just like, yo guys, just everybody take it up 10%. There's no way you're going to be wrong with that. Right? They didn't even want to do that. Right. Just the, the, the fact that their guidance or their earnings number got doubled by guidance after the first quarter. It's just, but it, it is whether that's thesis changing at all for Zoom, as far as the fact that they're able to it's showing that they may actually be opening more doors than even you when you were trying to model this aggressively, even you may have expected, uh, you know, $50. I mean, this whole pandemic thing is an exercise and the crystal ball is broken. You constantly are changing your views. You have to, you have to look back. There's two things to look at with Zoom. So they tell you they've gone from 20 to 30% in prosumer. So assume that if that happened in the quarter and you modeling monthly recurring revenue, that they're really the run rates 40%. Because if you're if you're looking at it from an from an annualized basis, like when you're the exit rate by the end of the quarter, I would guess prosumer is about forty percent of revenue. So the reason they're giving you the guide they're giving you is they're assuming an elevated churn in prosumer. I mean, you know, I'm sick of cooking. Like I, I, I've been like you know I've been I was on on a boat yesterday and I've been playing tennis. Like get me outside, right? <laughs> so. I, I'm not sitting here saying like, hey, it's like, I, you know, a friend messaged me yesterday and he was like, let's do a Zoom social. Nobody has responded in that WhatsApp group. <laughs> right. Yeah. That that momentum is definitely. It's famous. like, it's like, see ya. So like, I mean, I don't know how many people want to be paying more than a Netflix subscription. We're not focusing on streaming, but like I read this, you know, little segue, Strategy took a crack at Quibi today and it was such a good note because someone had written a note about, uh, Quibi's failure, like Katzenberg came out, was like, we launched during the pandemic. It was stupid because everybody's at home and like they're not on the go. And that's what, like, that's we're competing against a big screen and we don't have a big screen and we're competing against all these content choices. It was a bad idea, but, you know, we're going to manage through it. And this one person who I was talking to about it was like, yeah, but that argument doesn't make any sense because mobile screen usage times up 35%. And I'm like, yo, bro, TikTok, Instagram, 
Quibi is not competing remotely. Like if I, if I'm on the phone, it's like one of those three. And if I want to watch something, I'm gonna I'm get like I'm getting off. There's a, the whole user generated content argument, and the fact that you've 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 kind of hit a wall. And like I'm looking at like I canceled Quibi, I canceled CBS All Access. You know, someone was making fun of Peacock yesterday, right? I mean, like, like, don't even know what the deal is with that. But I know they do have The Office and 30 Rock. So, like, that's actually may suck me in to watch old stuff. But Disney Plus, you know, our old favorite and, what, and, and, and a discussion. You know how many times I've opened Disney Plus since I subscribed to it? Maybe four times, three times. It's yeah. single digits. I canceled my subscription. I couldn't. As much as I like The Simpsons, I just didn't care enough to. It, 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 it's basically it. Netflix, Prime, uh, Hulu, HBO sorry but there's too much i can't anymore so like it's when you start thinking about that there's like that's there's also like you know someone was complaining about roku i'm like dude pluto tv and the roku channel when am i gonna find time to watch any of that stuff i mean it's literally turned into cable and the 500 channels on cable and if you look at what my father watches he just watches law and order but he's paying for 500 channels (laughs) it's like law and order you know cnn these days and sports is coming back soon yeah, and then you bring back sports. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. Well, let's, so talk us through a little bit more of why the Zoom report messes up. It's implicit what's going on there, but I want to hear a little bit more. I, I don't know if you actually emailed them or not, but what would your pitch have been to Stuart Butterfield and Jennifer Tejada to move their earnings timing? Uh, if I was talking to Jennifer Tejada, I would have a lot of things to say. I don't know what's going on. First... They had technical difficulties with their conference call again. I don't know if you listened. I, I saw you mention that. Some, yeah, um, their web conferencing provider. I, you're always on reliability. You're talking about Zoom and everybody else and everyone's depending on you. And it's like listening to a 1985 you know, long distance AT&T call. I don't know what, like, what, what was going on there. Like, why, like, Maybe they're under a contract and they can't switch. That surprised me. Number one, I mean, whatever, it's communications and aesthetics, but like optics presentations is not good. But I mean, in their case, I would say this, you beat on the top line, you beat on the bottom line. And when I say beat for them, what they beat by is notable. The 1.8 million or whatever, I mean, it's, you know, again, SAS's guide to beat, that's just common, common sense. But when you're doing under 50 million in revenue and you're beating by seven to 10% or whatever, it's a big deal. And then you beat on billings, which notable stood out to me. And then you gave a guidance for next quarter, which beats consensus. And here's the best part. You've been missing on net dollar retention the last two quarters. That's been your net dollar retention is stable for the first time as a public company. It is like bang, 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 bang. The stock, the stock reports that a week ago, it's up 30%. Knee jerk. That's exactly what you should be thinking because take Okta at 40 times sales. They report they essentially tell you, look, Q2 and Q3 are going to be tough. Despite like the secular trends around digitization being accelerated, we have longer sales cycles. We have some customers who are under duress. You know, we're providing some flexibility to some customers. We expect things to, you know, by Q4 normalize. So you, with, like, if you're an Okta shareholder, guidance hasn't changed since December. Stock's up like 120%. That's the measuring stick pre-Zoom. Elastic reports, they took down their guidance. Again, you know, they had a really good quarter, but they're like, look, this is, you know, coronavirus has caused such havoc for like a normal, like basically if you weren't 
Zoom, which was, let us replicate the office experience immediately over video conferencing so I can see the people I work with. Because we could do it all over the phone. You didn't have to get on video conference. If we record a, a completely audio, we don't sit and, and stare at the screen. There's no eye to eye contact between you and me. When you think of it from that context, Outside of that, everybody else, like, I mean, pager duties is, is, is critical. I mean, like they called out everybody who upped spend with them. And it's like the who's who of, of tech. It's like, you know, Twilio and Zoom and these guys uh, and Netflix and whatever, depending on us more, more than ever. My thesis on this company had been very clearly confirmed by research that it's an enterprise play. It's Fortune 2000. That's where they dominate. I don't, the SMB is not interesting to me because how many seats can there be? I, I want 20,000 seats at Apple and 20,000 seats at IBM as far as customers versus 1,000 startups as a customer. Within the context of that, she decides to talk about SMB churn being somewhat elevated and like being cautious with respect to verticals like travel and Carnival Cruise Lines as a customer, retail, Gap as a customer. Uh, Expedia is a customer. The Expedia, Expedia's head of platforms was on Twitter. I retweeted it, like talking about Datadog crashing and his problems. And he's like, PagerDuty hit me for 16 hours straight, you know, like tweeting about that. And it's just like, but we got through it. It's like, I mean, that's like an advertisement for for you. And we're in the midst of the next morning is a, a positive job print. The president has declared victory on the economy. The, the NASDAQ is making a new high. And, you know, she's talking about stuff you would have been talking about a month and a half ago. And Stuart did the same thing. They, they, they talked tailwinds, but they also talked headwinds. So when you get into this whole economic forecasting element, it's like, look, the opening up trade is on. Like, I don't want to hear about Carnival Cruise Lines being out of business because it's up 150% this week, right? But so what I thought was interesting, and obviously, as listeners know, I, I'm certainly not on the same level as far as the depth of understanding of this space, but I looked at, I studied up Dropbox. I actually the weekend they were in Barron's, but without knowing they were in Barron's, and I eventually opened a small position. Then just since we talked about Pager Duty, I opened a small position as well. The interesting in both cases, uh, these are just examples, is that their guidance, Dropbox specifically talks about. I forget the metric they use, but they said number of people trying us or something like that is up 30%. It might have been teens percent, but there was some big spike in usage. And yet their guidance, I think, also increased the low end of their range and didn't go up. PagerDuty did the same thing for the year. And when I looked at Dropbox, I'm like, oh, they must be sandbagging. Like that doesn't, that just doesn't make sense that they wouldn't be able to up at all. But I'm wondering if, that you know you're talking about the the traders mentality but there is still that scar in the economy and as good as the jobs report seemed as you mentioned there's a lot more to it than just the headline number so does it throw any question as far as PagerDuty is still on pace the guidance is pretty solid and as you said the nearer term stuff is all pretty good so i'm not saying that but it that acceleration may not be as immediate as it seemed to us when we were talking the call before we had Justin on? Yeah. So no, I, look, we could spend th the next three hours talking about the economy. Slack and PagerDuty's numbers did not surprise me one bit. That's what, what I expected. I didn't expect any Zoom nonsense. I don't expect Apple to wake up on a Tuesday to add 10,000 more seats in the midst of this crisis. So I expected some benefit 
But remember, this is already a company that in of itself is 40% remote. So when I'm talking about DevOps and, and digital IT infrastructure, it's there. There's stuff you had to add, but there's also customer support. There's stuff tied to retail where you may not, you may have reps that are inactive or not working. They have a value proposition, for example, in retail, where like if you look at what they, they've been using Gap as like their poster child, and it's one minute of downtime costs you this much money. So for me, it's like Page of Duty's argument now is like, look at how much business you're doing on your website and how it saved you. Take William Sonoma, for example. I was long that into its earnings, and people were like, just like Zoom, when William Sonoma reported, they reported positive comps, and revenue was up year over year in the quarter. And it's a quarter where there's 700 stores across Pottery, ba- Pottery Barn, West Elm, and William Sonoma were closed half the quarter. So like people were in shock. And this was already a big omni-channel player, right? They were like 60%, they're 55 to 60% digital before the virus. So for half a quarter, they were 100%. And it more than offset their entire physical presence being gone. If you take a company like that and say, Hey, your website's down for a day. That's a lot of money. So that's what that's being left on the table. So when you look at the pitch that they were making based on a gap and say, here's the ROI, it pays for itself. You're like, it's a no brainer. Their value proposition just got better and everything is clicking. And there is going to be some benefits and there's going to be some of in terms of headwinds. Yes, you're going to have startups with a few employees who are going to be like, we need to stay in business. You're on call. We'll shift to like just use the Slack channel for this. That's not how you run a Fortune 500 company. And remember, Ops Genie was out there with Free from Atlassian, and it hasn't been closing the gap with against them, you know, in blue chips. So when I look at it, and I would look at what Slack reported, I've been calling Slack work from everywhere. I was really irritated with work from home dubbing of it because it's like it's you're using workplace chat and everything. It integrates a system of record, and it's an integration platform. And you go back to that whole argument around it, and this like back and forth between you know what Stuart has argued regarding Microsoft Teams and user experience. And I mean, you saw, by the way, Slack, I mean, they announced a deal with Amazon. That's a big announcement. And they're saying that they're going to use Chime for video, which you can think about how that works in terms of the focus more around the quality of the video product being integrated in uh, with respect to like replacing Zoom for one-on-ones, maybe what they saw in usage-wise and wanting to up, up their game there. But Amazon making it available for 750,000 employees and basically saying, look, it's that much better than the free products out there. Now, you can say there's politics, but they're essentially saying our employees want to use the best. They're happy with it. So in both of their cases, there's nothing that you look at it and you say there's anything wrong. There are two management teams being prudent with their disclosures. I'm saying it from the context of a shareholder. If you look, if you look at those two reports, Strip out Zoom to understand what, how Zoom screwed everything up, if you, want to, if you want to understand the point I'm making. And go look at the reports of Workday, Salesforce, pretty much everyone but, uh, let's say, Zscaler and Twilio. I mean, particularly Twilio on the metered uses, but then Twilio had been in the doghouse for two quarters in a row, and like, there had been separate issues there, and, and like, they talked about flex and the flex usage cases. But like... Jennifer Tejada is talking about use case expansion. And like, by the way, they took a shot across the bow against Everbridge, which I loved because every time you talk to somebody about Everbridge, as far as uh, on call, they just laugh. They're like, (laughs) who would use that? I mean, yes, Everbridge is doing very, very well in let's call it their digital asset tracking and, and, and disaster scenario 
information monitoring. But as far as like IT infrastructure monitoring, they've been a competitor. They've been around in the market the entire time PageDuty's been there and they've failed miserably because the product just isn't good. When you're working on a short thesis, you look for, for arguments to back yourself up. And like, I basically like spent a little time on the Ever, Everbridge and I was hoping that I'd be like, okay, that this is a threat here. And like, cause it's valuation at the time relative to pager duty didn't make sense. And that has flipped completely in the other direction. So when I look at it from that context and I say, if Okta reports and they're trading at 39 times sales and it manages to essentially go nowhere, but with a warning and saying that we're going to have a little bit of a headwind here and their guidance hasn't changed and pager duty, which has been, you know, in the doghouse for two quarters delivers a flawless across the board exactly what you would have wanted. And the stock is down 5% and Slack is essentially flawless. And it's down, what was it at 1.15%, but like Slack is up 60% in four weeks. I was looking at it. I'm like, how greedy am I being here? I'm up 700% on these calls. So let's just drill in one more time. Zoom throws this off because those stocks get robbed because yeah, Slack's chart, it's basically back down to where it was three weeks ago. So Slack got run up a ton, pager duty less so and dropped off less. But is the mess up that there was so much excitement and then Zoom was kind of a because Zoom, by the way, is also flat since its report. Yeah, Zoom rallied thirty two percent in the two days before it reported, number one, which was an- another a- annoyance because as good as Slack has been, again, it didn't move that much. And pager duty is trading at that single digit EV to sales multiple. So when Zoom moves that much in advance, you're just like, come on, it's, it's, people talk about Zoom security issues. Maybe all of Zoom's uh, Chinese uh, R&D team is buying the stock, right? I mean, like, it's, it's, who knows? It leaked. Well, there's no question with the move that it had. Somebody had to have had a good idea that I'm going to pile into this because the number is going to be so good. And by Tuesday, you know, it got a muted reaction when it reported one point, a guidance of 1.75 to 1.8 billion, 200% revenue growth for the year and 300 million in operating income. Right? It's anything that, that I had raised about it being like under like the R&D being an underinvestment issue. You can really now step back, like you were saying, and make the case Zoom just onboarded 260,000 customers. They're going to cross sell them Zoom phone. They're going to cross sell them Zoom rooms. There is usage as the transcription, other things that you can cross sell into it. So you've got to like Zoom's position. But Zoom also told you that 40%, well, they told you 30%, but on a monthly recurring basis, I'm going to assume it's about 40 presently, that 40% of their business right now on, on an MRR basis is prosumer and like changes the billing terms. That's another thing. I mean, what, like, what, what do people get pissed off? Like I talked to two guys that, at funds and they're like, Zoom, Slack pulled the billings guidance. I'm like, so what? <laughs> it's, there's so much noise in that right now. They better pull it. You know what was interesting? Friday morning before, after these two reported, who was on CNBC was Barry Diller. And he was like, let's just get rid of guidance. I saw that. So you saw that. That whole, like to me, that argument was an interesting exercise because these companies reported really strong quarters and they gave one quarter guidance that was also forward really strong but then they tempered it with like let's call it annual headwind talk and metric stuff that they didn't have to do and that you could say is like tmi i mean if you're short you'd be like oh but what's going to happen here you'd be making these calls but if you're long you're like why what like are you trying to stop the stock from going up what's going on here (laughs) 
I mean, Elon Musk does it with a tweet. Just get on Twitter and say, my stock is too expensive. And it goes up another 20%. If you want to do that, go, like, go do that. We'll go, we'll go through that exercise. That works. But like, what predictions are you making about the global macro that's better? I thought Stuart did a great job basically explaining the fact that he wants flexibility with his customers. They onboarded 90,000 new customers, 12,000 net paid, which is more than they onboarded in the last two quarters combined. When you consider that, people are like, oh, well, yeah, that, that's no Zoom. Okay, but like, there was a lot of disruption. Slack is in there. It's an enterprise tool. So there's a process for onboarding that and rolling it out company-wide type of investment decision. And it's an integration platform. You want to integrate it with so much stuff in the background. They have taken an initiative from a free standpoint where like, they should be very confident in, from a funnel to convert a lot of people. And that's when you go back to like a Dropbox, like you're pointing out, who, who's the ultimate. Like They're the original, how many free users do we have? And we're still converting them to this day. Well, and I don't know if you saw a similar point made was Chamath Pelahapitya. Yeah, I mean, he's Mr. Slack. Well, he made the point that it's, it is that you just, it's basically you get your tentacles into more and more places and then they fill the, they fill out. Like it's not a turn on overnight and all of a sudden your Zoom has tripled their guidance or whatever. It's a, it's that incremental but so much incremental that it'll start to kind of fill in. And that's where you're hoping to see, I guess. And I guess that's what the question is, right? And why these companies might be set, giving you guidance, more detailed guidance on the back half of the year, or admitting that they can't give super clear guidance is that it's that whole game of what's pull forward, what's acceleration, what's going to stick around, what's not. And that's where there's going to be nuance here as far as figuring out, does, is Zoom going to be able to raise their guidance again after Q2 earnings? Are they going to be able to say, actually, we're going to hit $2 billion this year? And then... I mean, you, like if you were to model that one out, you, you would be aiming for that they would have that when things normalize, their salespeople are going to, salespeople are going to be very busy. Like I said, I, I've, I've had conversations. They've selected Zoom phone. I've actually started to think a big, a big thesis around Ring Central, which has been a hot stock is they cut this deal with Avaya, which has like a huge install base, traditional telecommunications infrastructure. If you're talking about Zoom phone being a, a major player in enterprise UCAS, unified communications as a service, that this has opened a door where those two are butting heads and competing. Like I'm just going to, if I'm going to use Zoom for video conferencing, why isn't Zoom replacing my phone? And the portability that they have to do that. At which point you do wonder about the value of that Avaya partnership if, if if Zoom can execute on that, because like like you said, they got their tentacles in, and like there's without question, you look back at that and you say like did like did that put them in a better situation? But again, Zoom has to execute on everything at the size they're at, because there are plenty of players in this space, and it, this space will have a certain fragmentation, and they have gone from a young darling to a, a Goliath quickly. But where I think things are interesting with them is like if I'm going to go from zooming seven times, 10 times a day to like once a week, maybe a couple times a month, that prosumer, what is it? There should be an estimation that that comes back down to 20 between FaceTime and Hangouts and, and, and Meet and, and, and whatever Facebook gives you and whatever, whatever is free is going to be good enough. Why am I paying for Zoom? I mean, that's, yeah, that you would think that's less sticky. Yeah. When do I, I, I like this? The, the reason I initially brought it up and we got off of it quickly the streaming is Apple TV is free. I have gone into it once. Quibi was a three-month free trial. 
I used it for 24 hours. I'm on a lockdown. Like when you got to think about a measuring stick, I, and I like two shows. I like I like the splash that flipped was hilarious. But like between podcasts and, and this and that, like you're just, it's, it's too much. So like going back to the familiar and watching some old shows and whatever is like the paradox of choice element. When you sit there and you look at it and you say free is a problem, and you can't convert someone on usage habits. There is, there's two sides to the Zoom argument, but, but I think as far as fatigue from, from a consumer standpoint, I'm going to be looking probably, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be looking at their, they're using Truebill or something or whatever, or just keep, you know, paying attention to their subscription services. And they're like, why am I paying for this still? This is twice my Netflix subscription. And I used it, I used it how much in the last two months? That's, that's where their churn assumptions come in. And, and like, that's why you're like, okay, you may continue to do well in the enterprise, but like prosumer is 40% right now. How much are you going to lose? And that's where the, when we've talked about Zoom the first time, we talked about how they are likely to get boxed in and we talked about them almost 100% ago, but how they're likely to get boxed in by Facebook and by all these other, that they're not allowed to get to the social network. But this all blurs together, this, your social media versus your, it's all your attention. It's all that attention game. And there's only, and so there's only so much that can go around. And so when you look at a pager duty or you look at a Slack, at least they do have the benefit of, they're not playing that game. I mean, Slack is fighting for your attention, but it's at your job, essentially. I mean, they're not. Well, I agree. I mean, like there is, there is, they're not in that, they have a steady type of growth parameter, let's say. I think one of the things that Zoom really screws up is that at $1.8 billion in revenue and 200, 300 million in operating income or whatever, Zoom is like at 33, 34 times forward. And when you compare, when, when, when you compare that to the rest of SaaS, again, you're like, oh, wait, Zoom, which had this like 100x sales multiple, is actually not that, not, not that expensive. But then if you look at Zoom and you say, all right, but like it's 33, it's 33 times forward. But like, it's going to go to negative growth, maybe sequentially for with it six months forward. And it's going to maybe rebound to like, let's call it 15% growth for the next year. And these two software companies are going to grow still 30%. They will have gone through some, let's call it volatility, but it's more steady eddy. It's the tortoise versus the hare. And I think that like in, in the very, very short term, going into that with like, you know, Kramer getting on CNBC and be like, it's the best quarter I've ever seen in the history of software. And I've been doing this for a very long time. You're like, all right, I mean, it's not going to end well. <laughs> right. There is a lot of, I think Stephen Alper, the managing editor of our news team, made the point. The, there was a lot of things you don't hear at the bottom about that Zoom call. There was a lot of enthusiasm in the room for that. Look, I mean, I was long Zoom till early Feb. And it was, I watched it basically trade like an inverse ETF for like the peak coronavirus, like March. Zoom, would, Zoom and Everbridge honestly bucked the trend. They never went down. They, they didn't have a collapse. They didn't get dragged down with everything else. You know, the lowest Zoom traded was like, it came to like 97, 98 for a half second during the virus and Everbridge was like 95 and like both of them held up outstandingly well throughout all the volatility. They were a place to hide. And then Zoom got up to like 180 
And then it came down, you know, when we were talking about it last, uh, and, and I did, you know, Zoom out and, and Slack, it was it was like 155, right? And I was just like, look, if I'm going to buy this thing here, this is what I need for an upside. And remember, we're flying blind. There's two camps. Like there was, there are people, people saying like, hey, we're doing Zoom. People are paying for Zoom. Subscribers are, are, are there at the individual level. And clearly that's the case. It may be trailing and lagging and in, as far as an indicator. And people are, are, are starting to cancel it. And you got to think of how it's gone. But there obviously was a window where a lot of prosumer you know, signed up and paid. And I, found, I, I actually do find it surprising because they've been giving away the extra meeting time for free for like the last four weeks. So I feel like anyone who so- signed up to get past that 40-minute limit kind of got screwed because they just had to like they – opted, they opted in that to, to compete with everybody else entering the market and just match them. So I don't know who's paying actually, who's like discovering that they're just getting ripped off because they're not using any of that. Like if you're not, if, if you're not using the storage and the transcription and, and all that stuff, you have that issue. But, but in contrast, it, it, going back to one thing you brought up, you asked about Dropbox and, you know, obviously I did a Dropbox short thesis last summer mm-hmm. and I also kind of flipped on that and Dropbox actually had, what's his name? Ben at Spruce Point came out with a short thesis this year. And like, I was like, Hey look at where it's trading and look where everything else is trading. This is in Dropbox at 27 last summer, Dropbox at 16 saying it's going to this with where SaaS valuations have gone now. And the fact that Dropbox, based on my checks, they just came out and they're like, hey, if you switch from uh, monthly to annual, you can keep your price. If you do this, you can do And like, it turns out there's a lot of people are lazy. Despite a lot of people making a lot of noise last summer, I was actually surprised when I went back and did a follow-up on it more than three quarters of them were like, I didn't, I refused to cancel it. I just, I, was, I got angry, but they offered me this. There's the percentage that does nothing and just renews. And then there's that, that amount of people who are just like, make the noise and they give, turn them from a monthly subscriber to an annual, or they give them their price for another year. And they're willing to do that. I mean, obviously Dropbox has its own problems, but like from a cash flow standpoint and other things, like last quarter, Dropbox seriously took things up. There's a good argument, and I have a friend at a hedge fund. I actually asked him if he wants to come on and talk Dropbox, and maybe he will. Who he's done a lot of work on Dropbox, and he really likes Dropbox. And we got into this conversation, and you know, he thinks he thinks Dropbox is is, is maybe going to be sold. There's obviously some some issues with the share class and Andrew Houston get on the Facebook board and, and whatever. But there's a compelling case that you know, based on whatever, like Dropbox has got like a $30 exit of some sort. Now, I look at this space and I say, well, Slack is doing this, Zoom is doing that. Is Dropbox sticky enough? Do I want to buy this, like the syncing? And I mean, like, what's the big take on Dropbox is the syncing? Like I actually started using something called DocuSend okay. as an experiment. It's kind of doing what I, like what Dropbox was all, like there's like, you know, Dropbox paper and like a share, like sharing a, a workspace. Like Dropbox already has your folders, but what DocuSend actually allows you to do is like, I can do email verification. So like, let's say like, I always have people like, Hey, can you send me this report you did back when you were whatever? Right. And I'll go, I'll spend all this time looking something up and I'll do this. Like, why don't I just drop you a link? You want to read some old research report I did on, or some short thesis that I've done and stick them in a folder and I can, you give me an email address and it'll send you an email I don't want anyone else being able to access it, but like you can come in and out of my folder with email verification. So it's like high, high permissions enabled. 
So like when you think about that, there's like so many little sub niches, but the Dropbox argument, like I would say for, from, from my end is that they already just took things up significantly from an EBITDA standpoint last time. So I wouldn't read too much into that as, as like, like not benefiting. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't done enough homework as far as looking at past quarters to see the trajectory of guidance or anything. I just, I, I mean, I do think it's <laughs> listeners may laugh at me because of course I would go for the, the closest to a value stock in this space, but I liked, it just seems like they are. I obviously read your report from last summer and it feels like they've managed to continue to grow paying users at a reasonable rate. They're definitely getting. ASP is definitely driving some of their revenue growth. But the fact that you can do that, like that's not to be taken for granted that you can pass along. Dude, it's a better version of JCOM. Are you familiar with JCOM? I think we've brought it up it's in some context. Like the, the, the E to Fax company that has grown revenue every quarter as a public company since like the 1990s. Consistent acquisitions roll in and this like never dying E fax business. Because like it's it's been sticky in healthcare, uh, HIPAA has been a thing that's that, that's worked out very well for that. Kind of in terms of Dropbox, like once you've got a person who's got who's using something, the portability becomes an issue. Yeah, I mean that's you know the switching costs and all. And I think they they've got a they've got at least Elliot has a position in them, and I feel like there's more activist buzz around them. It just so yeah, it's it for me it just seems like an interesting way given that we're spending so much time on this space. That I can understand it and apply what we're talking about to them. I to come back to PagerDuty and Slack. So let's go back to that sort of guidance. Do you, based on what you're seeing, do you feel that their ultimate long term, let's say not super long term, but let's say two, three, four year revenue trajectory, do you feel that that's ramping as compared? Like, are they benefiting from this, and is that maybe? where you are not seeing eye to eye with the market because the market doesn't seem to. So here's the interesting thing about these stocks, which is why I have not, I mean, I didn't sell any page duty. I sold some Slack calls, still holding the Slack stock. And it was very tempting to trade around 41. We got close to it. My rationale with both of them is they've been in the doghouse independently of the rest of the sector all of last year. PagerDuty, obviously, I, I had a short thesis on Slack. I almost published the same type of report that I did on PagerDuty. I just essentially, like, it, it fell too quickly. I shorted it. I was working on it. And I had the whole nice segue of, you know, Slack basically being Dropbox 3.0. It, like, Dropbox was this darling of darlings. And the social capital, you, you brought up Papathea. And there's a there was a guy who just left who essentially has written a fantastic paper about, like, why he bailed on Dropbox in 2015. And like part of his argument was Slack and how it changed, it changed the dynamic. I think if you look at it, there's a lot of overlap, right? And it's like, who emerges here? Like the Amazon deal is an interesting deal because is, is this Amazon playing Slack's sugar daddy in the war against Microsoft, AWS and, and Slack together kind of uh, as a team versus uh, Azure and, and, and Teams? I don't know. I mean, like, is that a setup for like, this, this, is, this is an acquisition candidate for Amazon? But, you know, some of these partnerships sometimes don't lead to much. But like, if you look at it with Slack, Atlassian went after them. We talked about this with Justin. 
they threw in the towel, they cut a deal and ported the users over and then, then they invested. And now Amazon is, is doing a deal with them and their sub-licensing technology. They're also a big investor in Loom. They're a seed investor in Loom, which is the asynchronous uh, video, communi- video messaging. Yep. And they've also invested, I think, in the second and third round. Now, I don't know if they're, if they're planning on rolling out their own version of this and how this Chime stuff works. But Slack's obviously very busy and there's a lot of stuff going on in video that comes back to Slack. So like we said about Zoom in the beginning, like I had made the argument that like Zoom's sweet spot is the virus explodes, everyone gets on board and we go back to work pretty quickly. Work from home doesn't drag as like, the, sorry, put it this way. The lockdown doesn't drag. Like there's an ability to return to the office because then like it's been a big onboarding and they're like a default video conferencing tool which makes anybody else competing a bit of a problem. I think for PagerDuty, when you look at what's happened in retail, and custom, their sweet spot is like the same thing, right? You get back to work immediately because everyone will be like, okay, we became so dependent on this here. Being always on is easy. So if I'm a sales rep for that company, I got to think like I go to any retailer and I'm like, I whip out William Sonoma's earnings. You know, I, I don't know what's been going on at the Gap as well. And I say, look, here you go, guys. You can't be down. You need page duty. It's that simple. This got accelerated. This is what's going on here. No problem. And we are ahead of everybody in this, and they're so far behind, and you're playing catch up and you know, use the gold standard. And that's kind of what's been happening at the enterprise level. For them, churn on the low end, you, you eventually want to get rid of those customers. You want to force them off anyway. Like I have talked to two people who are not using PagerDuty and have used OpsGenie who have pointed out that they would switch to PagerDuty if it was a, if they, the, the, their demand of their startup ex- went up because it's a more reliable needed product once you're past that point. So like if you're a business that's surviving or making really good progress, you're going there. If you're still in that like, hey, we need to prioritize certain type of costs, you may still be managing on that. I was just a little annoyed that that like, that both of them chose to go out. Like, I mean, look, you know what? In Slack's case, who cares? But PagerDuty, like for the fact that they, from an optics standpoint for investors, at the end of the day, management does answer to shareholders. And from an optics standpoint for investors, it's like, you already knew all this. You went through this exercise. She did a conference, she did a podcast recently with, I think it was Bessmer, and somebody else where she talked about how there has been some acceleration and there's been this and, and, and so on and so forth. And it's like, just it, like, if, if you were reporting these numbers, report them before Zoom. If you are, are somewhat like, what it shows me is a lack of savvy as far as the market. Now you can counter and say, you know what, I'm, I'm running a business for the long term. I don't care about the monthly gyrations, but try, try to explain that to everyone in an IPO that's face planted. Like I still have people now who come on Twitter and they're like, you know, screw this guy. He wrote the short report on this. Don't listen to him. I've done 60% because of that. Like it's, it's not my fault. Things did go as kind of expected on X, Y, and Z. Here's what's changed. You still haven't communicated clearly. And then of course there is that variable of, of what is SaaS worth, right? Like you talked about macro and we talked about work from home. And like right now the market is the hottest stocks are Boeing and ExxonMobil. Things change quickly. Hertz. Don't forget Hertz. Is Hertz up? I mean, I saw Luck and Coffee's tripled in the last week. I mean, I don't know where Hertz actually is, but it's been very crazy given that they're still 
I, I mean, I'm not looking closely, but I feel Did like you see that there they were up like a, 62% today. There was a, that's just crazy. There was this thing from, that's like AMC's like whole, like it's already bankrupt, but it's not. There's Lit, Lit Capital did like a quick, I don't know if you saw like declaring like the, uh, the, the pandemic over. Okay. It's like a little video. There's like one scene where there's just like a bunch of people jumping up and down, like music bouncing. One group is companies like the sub subheading is like companies that should be that should be bankrupt and like the guy be- like bouncing with them up and down and bobbing his head is like jay powell and it's just like yes there there is an element of that that that, that just happened and i think one of the one of the i mean he was actually on tv today too uh drucken miller yeah and he was he was like i underestimated the fed everybody freaking underestimated the fed this is where you get annoyed where we're not going to do a macro one because I think that would be a fantastic exercise again. But you, you do have to realize stimulus is a short-term benefit. When you do a massive amount of stimulus, and like that's essentially we've had both fiscal and monetary, it's literally measured in the weeks that it's, it's initially administered. And the cost of it is measured over years, and people aren't taking that frame of mind here. We are so many people are so caught up in the fact that the market has been able to make new highs. And it's a reminder of, of how arbitrary things are in a monetarily driven environment where like no one's sitting here and saying, well, you're just devaluing the dollar. Like how low are you willing to go in the dollar? What does this imply for the dollar for trade globally as a store of value? Like if you're a foreign investor in the United States, how low are they willing to go? And how like, I think the Fed, there's, there was an argument that don't do too little, always overreact type of thing. And the people did frame it like, hey, 2008, they were slow. No, at 2000, from, 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 from the beginning of 2007 through 2000, March 2009, it was kind of a rolling bust. There was overspeculation in real estate globally. There was just no getting around it. So like, there's, there was no reason to react quickly to save anyone what are you saving a bunch of real estate speculators with interest only loans like it's that's that shouldn't be bailed out but here there's a perception that everything got bailed out the focus in the in the near term has just been on like oh well you know these returns are generated and like the market's up and the people who are like don't panic are taking like a victory lap like to me like joe kernan taking a victory lap on cnbc and fighting with the andrew ross sorkin is, is just comical because it's like Dude, you didn't know what the Fed was going to do. Nobody did. Like, yes, some of us saw what they did, saw the CARES Act, and changed. Like, if you if you were to go back and look at the conversations you and I were having in February, yeah, early March, like Mm -hmm. what turned things for me was the CARES Act. And when I saw the Fed essentially guidance become no guidance, that to me was like, all right, this is just. Nobody is allowed to to liquidate their portfolio because there's too many other problems, and they're they're going to unleash a monetary inflation here. That for the average Joe, psychologically, you don't sit there and look at things going up and say there is something wrong about this. Like you don't sit there and say like who's actually looking at the Fed balance sheet? I mean the goddamn thing is up; it's doubled in nine weeks. Does does anyone think that's normal? Does anyone have any clue? Do you remember the taper tantrum, Daniel? Yes. Okay. What the hell are we going to be dealing with when, when the, the Federal Reserve just decides to stop buying assets? Can they even ever stop? I have no clue. Well, and I just think I've been trying to think of the tweet 
to express this, but the bull market geniuses of the last 10 years versus the bear market geniuses of early March versus the bull market geniuses of the last two months. Like, who you got? Who's the big, like, the number of people who have come to me talking about how great they are because of their calls the last few weeks. And I'm not talking, I'm not engaging with the sort of day trader crowd, but just, you know, people in the game. It's like, yeah, you've like, I'm happy for you. I want you to succeed, but also keep in mind, everybody who didn't run away from the market in March looks like a genius right now. And it's not. If you were a deer in the headlights, you were fine. The brakes worked on the car. That's exactly. What happened, right? Exactly. That's, the, that's how I look at Joe Curtin. I'm like, you just sat there. You had nothing to say for two months. And then like when the president's like taking a victory lap because the market's up, you're all of a sudden like, see, you you guys were worried about a virus. Ha, 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 ha. All right. Well, so it, very good stuff on the SaaS. So I think people hopefully enjoy that update post earnings. Good to follow up given how much we talked about it. Um, any other positions you need to disclose based on the name? No, co- no. I mean, uh, I've been I've been sitting just page of duty and, and Slack and Facebook and whatever. But the focus on uh, the reopening trade has intrigued me a little bit, but I, nothing to disclose there. I mean, the other thing we didn't get into on page of duties, I, I think like they should just sell the company. I mean, like there's like that, there's that, that possible argument too here. It still it trades at a level where if I'm a buyer and I'm like service now or whoever, where you're just like, I can get this deal done at $40. I mean, I think I can sell that to the, to the board. Why wouldn't you take $40? And if, and it's at this juncture where like, you do have to think about SaaS multiples aren't going to expand for forever. And like there will be a point in the future where the growth is validated, but but maybe finally hit a multiple compression because the multiples in this sector have just been the most volatile things I've ever seen. I mean, if you can consider the roller coaster we've seen multiple wise, because a lot of people will come to you, but like there's a lot of SaaS genius investors right now. Like I own each one of these names for each niche, right? Like you were talking about, you know, your your value picking. Forget the value picking. There's the thematic ones who are out of control on Twitter and other places. They're like, I, I own this for analytics. I, I own this for business spend. Uh, I own this for video conferencing, this for chat, this for endpoint security. Da, 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 da. It goes on and on and on. on. Cl- cloud-based uh, CD- CDN, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, listen, you guys aren't geniuses. There is essentially one for each one of these things. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's not like there's 10 of them. And it's like the same trade 10 times over because the, what's what's explaining your stock's performance for 95% of the time is the EV to sales multiple of a SaaS stock, Absolutely. which can move like no tomorrow. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So that's it. The tide is not out right now. And so we'll see what happens the next time it goes out. But all right, Akram, great stuff. Yeah. Let's do this again soon. All right, bro. Take care. All right. Take it easy.